everybody good? That bad, huh? Rough. <laughs> Rough morning. The sun's out. What's everybody's problem, huh? You're, you're probably sitting there like, we only sang one song. What's going on? Why is he up there already? What's happening? What's going on? I don't know what's going on. He didn't give us a heads up about this. Yeah, you're right, and we didn't. So all you late people are like, oh, no. Now we have to plan to be there on time from now on. No, it's all good. We, we basically flip-flop the service, and there's a reason for that. So we'll have, you know, we usually do like a few songs, and then I preach, and then one song at the end. It's the exact opposite. In fact, the last thing we do today is announcements. So you'll know when it's done, when we get to the announcements. So everything's a little bit flip-flop. What I wanted to do is after today's topic, I wanted to give us a chance to just kind of have an extended time of worship uh, at the end um, today. Um, uh, I think that little strange helm is gone. Good job, Matt. Um, so just want to welcome everybody. If we haven't met, my name is Justin. I'm the lead pastor here at Fieldstone. Uh, we were gone last week, which was fantastic for us. Um, we were down in Florida for a week, did the universal thing, uh, perfect weather every single day. I know some of you guys hit Florida back in January and it was horrible and I don't care, uh, cause it wasn't that way when I was there. It was perfect. It was awesome. So I just, uh, plowed through a couple, uh, good books and, just enjoyed time with uh, family and all that good stuff. But today, just um, we're getting towards the end of this series that we've been in called Terminal. If you haven't been with us, I encourage you to go back and, and, and check it out all the way through, going through the chapters John 13 through John 17. In, uh, in the academic world, it's called the Farewell Discourse. We've called it Terminal uh, because what we've come across is a time where Jesus is almost done with his time on earth. He spent three years serving and ministering and teaching and, and leading his disciples and showing people what this all looks like here, what heaven looks like here on earth. Uh, but he knows the end is coming, and so the tone has shifted a little bit. And in the same way as when a human gets to that point in their life, maybe they've received a terminal diagnosis, so they know the end is coming, and the conversations change. The tone of those conversations changes and Jesus has been leaving some things for his followers that he's been saving them for the end, right? They didn't need to know all these things until right at the end, and so he's been challenging them. And, and a couple different uh, categories. On one category, it's those who have already chosen to follow him, who, do, who are all in, and he's saying, hey, let's, let's solidify a couple important things. I want you to serve. I want you to love each other. I want you to stand on my truth. I want you to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. And then there's another category of that there's some things that he's clarifying for people who aren't all in yet, who are still trying to figure out what's this Jesus thing? What's this God thing all about? What, 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 do I, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And so he's, there's some important clarifications in these chapters of what it's all about, some, some one-item list kind of things. Like it's all about Jesus. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the only source of life. And so we've hit on all those things, and, and like any good preacher, Jesus wraps it all up with a prayer. And so that's where we find ourselves, and we're, we're going to split um, chapter 17 into a couple different parts, but admittedly, this prayer could be its own four or five week series. Some of the things that Jesus hits on really could deserve their own Sunday. We're not going to do that. Um, and yet, uh, today I'm, I'm going to jump into it because the prayer that we see it's a little bit different than, than other prayers that we see from Jesus throughout the Gospels. A lot of the prayers that you see are, um, they're very practical prayers, uh, prayers where, uh, for lack of a better way of putting it, where he's about to accomplish a godly task, where he's inviting God's power into a moment, asking for his blessing, asking for healing, seeking God's will. Um, some prayers simply showing his disciples how to pray. You go to the Lord's Prayer, he's just, hey, here's what it looks like, Here, here's what it looks like to talk to God. Prayers where he just needs to get away and have a time to be refreshed and spend time with his Father. Um, but then there's another prayer in a few chapters, if you go to the end of John, 
where he's in the, in the Garden of Olives about to be arrested, and it's a prayer that is just tortured in nature, right? Extreme stress. Uh, there's a time crunch. It's, it's running out. He's frustrated with his disciples, impatient with them because they can't keep up with him in this moment that he's in. But this prayer in John chapter 17 um, is very clear-headed. It's a very purposeful prayer. It's a prayer that reveals his heart, the heart of God, the heart of Jesus, the God-man, in his last moments of ministry, his last moments with his friends, his last moments really in his human life. Um, and so it's a, it's a very purposeful, powerful prayer in that way. And it's also a prayer, strangely enough, that he most likely spoke out loud. So, so many of the conversations that Jesus has in moments throughout his ministry are God bringing those memories to his disciples' minds as they write the Gospels and write the New Testament. It's very likely, though, that this prayer was out loud um, for a couple different reasons. One, uh, it was pretty common in the Jewish faith for prayers to be prayed out loud, but also very common for a rabbi with any amount of disciples, any amount of pupils, to pray their prayers out, out loud as a way of teaching their disciples um, how to pray, uh, what things to pray, even to reveal uh, areas of their theology and beliefs through their prayers. And so it was very likely that that was the case with Jesus here. Um, and so in the midst of that, he has a chance to kind of teach them one more time. He has a chance to encourage them, encourage them by revealing his softer side a little bit in this moment of tenderness as he is experiencing his terminal, uh, terminal season of life, but yet also the strong side where he's resolute in his mindset as he heads toward the cross. Um, and, and in many ways, in a strange way, it, it, I think this is part of Jesus showing them how to die well. I think I mentioned it a few weeks ago as a part of a different talk, but I think it's so important for all of us as humans. We are going to come to the end of our lives, and I think the last great thing we can teach the generation coming behind is what it looks like to die in Christ, what it looks like to die with hope, and I think that Jesus is modeling that for them here. Um, so that's, that's kind of what today looks like, but um, let's go to John. I'm going to start with the end of chapter 16 just to kind of pick up where we left off a couple weeks ago. And then jump right into chapter 17 as we start Jesus' prayer here. So he says, I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I've told you these things, all these things that we've been through, right? What it looks like to humble yourself, what it looks like to love each other, what it looks like to rely on the Holy Spirit, how it's going to be difficult interacting in a world that doesn't know what it looks like to follow Jesus. I've told you all these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And after Jesus said this, he looked to heaven and he prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and they know Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So there's one big thing I want to end up at in a few minutes, but there's, there's three phrases I need to, to, to just hit real quick. And again, each of these phrases could probably be their own Sunday morning, um, but just to hit them real quick, because I think they're important enough to talk about. Um, first thing he says, he says, Father, the hour has come. Jesus, without a doubt, knows that it's time. He knows it's time and he knows what's about to happen. He is fully aware of what he's been called to. He's fully aware of what he's been sent to do. Now, he's not just aware of the big picture, right? When we think of the big picture of what Jesus came to do, he knows, obviously, God created everything perfect. 
for about a chapter and a half, God's will was done on earth perfectly, right? And then humans screwed it up. Adam and Eve did their thing. And then for the rest of the story, God is chasing us down, attempting to fix and restore what he had created in Genesis 1 and 2. And so Jesus knows that. He knows the big picture. He knows his place in that. He knows what he came to do. But he doesn't just know the big picture. He knows the intimate, excruciating details of the next 24 hours. He knows exactly what he's going to walk through what he's going to experience, what he's going to feel. This is, if you guys ever had one of those things happen in your life, maybe something's growing on your body that wasn't there before, and you're like, what the heck is this, and why is it in that spot, right? Or, or your body's feeling something different. There, there's something going on on the inside, or the doctor catches something on a scan or in a blood test, or like, hey, we want to check this out a little bit more. And then what's your first thing? You get home, and you check WebMD. Right? Or you go, in, you go into the Google rabbit hole and you start finding out what does this look like. If it's the worst case scenario, what am I going to experience? What's it going to feel like? What's the treatment? What do I have to tell my family? How long does this last? How long do I have? All of these intimate, excruciating details of that thing we don't fully understand, which we probably don't need to know in the time. Jesus knows all of those things. He knows what they're going to do to him. He knows how it's going to feel. He knows how long it's going to last he knows what he's walking into, and he says yes anyways. That's a big deal. And in that moment, this moment of peace, this moment of quiet that he has before the chaotic storm comes, where does he go? To whom does he turn? Turns to his father. Goes to God. Does the same thing in the garden a few chapters later when he's at his wit's end processing what's going on. He turns to God. Father, the hour has come. Second phrase I want to highlight where he says, this is eternal life. Just like back in John 14, 6 that we hit a few weeks ago where Jesus clarifies, this is what it looks like to end up with the life that I've created for you. This is what it looks like to end up with the eternity I've created for you. It's found in him. He clarifies there is one true God, and it's only through Jesus Christ that you experience him. And he uses the word eternal. This section here is a clear reference to life after life, life after the physical here and now. Now, keep in mind as I say this, Jesus throughout his ministry absolutely paints a picture of life lived on earth connected with him, right? The vine and the branches that we talked about a couple weeks ago, right? Life to the full, sermon on the mount type stuff, beatitude type stuff where absolutely he is bringing heaven to earth, bringing the kingdom truth and kingdom values down to earth. Love, justice, caring for the least of these, uh, living a life that bears the fruits of the spirit, kingdom values lived out on earth. That is a huge aspect of Jesus' ministry, a huge aspect of the world turning and following Jesus is heaven coming to earth. But isn't it interesting that here at the end, Jesus is experiencing what we all experience, mortality, death, the end, and what he reminds us of is that whatever happy or crappy life that we have here on earth, the end comes. And at the end, as is the case with Jesus, whatever life on this planet has been for us, life on this planet becomes a little bit less urgent. And our thoughts turn to eternity, the end, what comes next. And he reminds us that our only hope for eternity is the gift of God through his son, Jesus. This is eternal life. Third phrase that he says at the end of this collection of verses is that he says he was with God before the world began. Now, Jesus' human body is 33 years old at this point, 
But Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, the light, the life, Jesus, the Word, has no beginning and no end. He is God. We use the word Trinity. The word Trinity is not found in Scripture, but it's passages like this that tell us that it's scriptural truth. You go to Genesis 1.26, where God says, Let us make mankind in our image. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. It's talking about Jesus. Jesus, the Word, was with God. Jesus, the Word, is God. You could go back to, um, there's a character in the Old Testament, called, his, he's the priest Melchizedek, who interacts with Abraham back in Genesis. And Melchizedek doesn't play a huge role in that moment, but he comes up again in the book of Hebrews talking about how Jesus is a priest in the order of the priest Melchizedek. And that reference is made because Melchizedek in that story with Abraham had no known beginning and no known end. We see Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ, show up as the commander of the armies of the Lord before Joshua goes into Jericho. Jesus then shows up again in Revelation, in future prophecy. So he's not bound by space and time. He always has been. He always will be. Basically, to sum it up, Jesus is more than just some dude. He's a big deal. No beginning, no end. There with God before the world began. Here in this passage of Scripture in the Gospel of John. There at the end in the book of Revelation. So those are three things. But the, the biggest thing that I want to hit this morning um, that kind of jumped out at me going through this passage this particular time in my life, I want to read it again. It's, it's Jesus talking about glory and being glorified. I want to read it again and just kind of emphasize those particular words there at the first part of John 17. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and they know Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. That word glory... Several descriptive words define that word in this passage. Words like praise, magnify, celebrate, honor, clothe with splendor, to make their name renowned. And so if you read those type of descriptive words back into the passage, Father, the hour has come, magnify me so that I can magnify you. Celebrate me as I celebrate you. God, I have made it my job to honor you on this planet. Now honor me. Let's honor ourselves in this place. Make our name renowned. Clothe me with splendor. It's like the true purpose is finally revealed in the most clear and obvious way where Jesus is saying, hey, he's been a servant. And by being a servant, he's revealed the servant character of God. He's humbled himself and in the process expressed the humility of God's character. He's prioritized God's people. He's prioritized his disciples, as he's going to do later on in this prayer. He's, he's lowered himself. He's taught. He's served. He's healed. He has modeled the kingdom here on earth. And it's like, now let's get back to what it's all been about. The overarching theme of this entire book, the reason for his obedience, the reason for his humility, the reason for his coming, the reason he's about to willfully lay down his life is for God to be glorified. For Jesus, God in the flesh, 
for him to be glorified, for God to be praised, for God to be honored, for God to be magnified, for God to be clothed in splendor, for his name to be of great renown. Here's the thing. I need you to hear me on this part, okay? God loves you. He loves you more than you can imagine. He created you. He planned you out before he even created the world. He made you in his image. He made you to have a relationship with you. He gave you unique features and unique talents, unique personality, unique gifts, and gave you a unique purpose for your life. Even in your sin, he sent Jesus to die for you, to forgive you, and to restore you. You are a really big deal to God. However, God is all about God. God is all about God. The whole book is about God and his greatness. Every event, every promise, every prophecy, every law is about bringing glory to himself. Every miracle is about making his name great. Every book you read in scripture, everything that scripture points to is pointing this exact moment in time when Jesus would show up. Every prophecy, every promise, every example of God interacting with his people, every milestone and memorable event is pointing to this moment Adam and Eve, back at the beginning, they sin. They realize that they were naked. What does God do? He sacrifices an animal to clothe them. That's a picture of what God is going to do. Abraham and Isaac going up that mountain. He think, he's thinking he's got to sacrifice his son. What does God do? He provides a replacement, a sacrificial ram to stand in the place of Isaac. Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness. King David as a picture of the Christ who would come. The sign of Jonah. The prophecies in books like Malachi that we talked about through the Christmas season. All the laws, all the animal sacrifices, they all point to this moment when Jesus will arrive on the scene and offer himself as the ultimate sacrifice. Throw in the not-so-subtle hints, right? Psalm 23, this famous, poetic, amazing psalm that we go back to for encouragement and peace and, and to remind ourselves of how God interacts with us as, as his sheep, and he is our shepherd. In the midst of that, it says, he leads me along paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Psalm 85, 8 through 9, I will listen to what God the Lord says. He promises peace to his people, his faithful servants. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. His salvation, this ultimate sacrifice that he makes to make sure that not only can we be forgiven, but we can experience eternal life because he defeated death by rising from the grave. His salvation is near to those who fear him. Why? So that his glory may dwell in our land. God is all about God. Now, that's hard for us to hear, right? Because when we think about this in human terms, when a human we know is all about them, that's bad for everybody except for them. Right? Whatever they're chasing, whatever they're pursuing, whatever goals they have, whatever priorities they have, those things supersede everything and everyone around them. And so when we put this in terms of human selfishness and human glory, it looks like a bad thing, but that's how it's different with God. When God is all about God, it's good for everybody. When his purpose prevails, when his wisdom prevails, when his way prevails, when God is about God and he gets the glory, everyone benefits from that. And so in this moment, Jesus is going back and saying, God, you gave me full authority 
and I want to use that for your glory. Jesus, I've, he says, I've obediently done everything that you've sent me to do, and it was all for your glory. I'm going to save these people from their sins, and it's going to be all for your glory. They laid this thing out completely from the beginning of time, and it was all to bring glory to God and make his name great. It's been the not-so-secret, not-so-hidden motive the entire time. God is all about God. And I don't know if I mean that as an encouragement. I don't know if I mean that as a challenge. I think maybe I just mean it as one of those worldview things that you have to keep in mind and we have to refresh ourselves on every once in a while because we like to make ourselves a really big deal. That's a natural thing. We like to make our ideas and our purposes and our plans and our directions and our wisdom, we like to make our priorities a really big deal. And God is saying, that's cute. I love you, but this is about me. God is all about God. And so the challenge this morning is to align your life in the direction of God's glory. Align your life in the direction of God's glory. Jesus did it. And the challenge is the same for you. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Your decisions, your prayers, how you deal with your past, how you handle the present, how you prepare for and view the future should all be done with a certain mindset, with a certain heart that says, God, may it all be for your glory. God, be celebrated because of my life. God, clothe yourself in splendor through me. Use my circumstances, use my decisions, use my successes and failures to make your name great. Basically, it comes down to this. I'll simplify it for you. When it comes to aligning your life in the direction of God's glory, doing things God's way brings God glory. Doing things God's way brings God glory. Things like interacting with your parents. Where are the kids at? couple kids up here, a couple teenagers around. Interacting with your parents God's way brings God glory. Defining and enjoying sex God's way brings God glory. Defining and enjoying marriage God's way. How you balance work and rest doing that God's way brings God glory. Acquiring and spending and saving and giving away God's way brings God glory. Jesus says, if you, serve, if you love me, keep my commandments. Why would he say that? Right? Because we've already talked about faith is not about checking boxes, doing all the right things and saying the right things. So why would Jesus say, if you love me, keep my commandments? It's because doing earth the way God designed earth to be done brings glory to the creator of earth. Doing things God's way brings glory to God. And so then the questions no longer become, okay, where, how are we gonna, uh, where, where are we going to spend this? Or are we going to go that way or that way? Am I going to say yes or no to this? I'm going to uh, engage in more of this or less than this. Am I going to add this to my life or cut this out of my life? Are we going to go here or there, do this or that? Say, am I going to respond in this way? That, that no longer becomes the question. The question, question becomes, in this moment, to the best of the wisdom that I've been given, which option will bring the most glory to his name? Not search the Bible for affirmation that everything is going to be okay because sometimes it's not going to be okay. Jesus already promised we're going to have trouble. It's not, that, oh, I found this verse and pulled it out of context to justify the decision that I would like to make in this particular scenario. No, which option in this moment will bring the most glory to God's name? I want to align my life in the direction of God's glory. 
Now that can be scary. Because as we already talked about, that is the opposite of what we naturally want to do. Aligning our lives in the direction of God's glory means doing things we wouldn't, not, we wouldn't naturally do on our own. It means experiencing life differently than we might naturally experience it otherwise. Doing life to bring God glory is not natural, but it's his way. It's the best way. It's the way the universe was created to operate. It's the way your life was created to operate. Aligned in the direction of bringing God glory and making him great. Now I'll close with this encouragement. And the band's going to come and lead us through some songs to close it out. I want you to keep this in mind. Because making life all about God is scary. It means saying things differently than we might say. It means responding to life differently than maybe everyone else around us is responding. But I want you to keep in mind, if it's all about him, it is, then it's all on him, and it is. If it's all about God, then the results are on him, right? If something is God's idea, he is responsible the results. Because when you're, when you're thinking through this, how can I bring glory to God? Well, if, if I make this decision, I don't know how these people are going to respond. I'm, I know the first step. I don't know what's beyond that. Well, if this direction is what God is calling you to do in order to bring him glory, then he's responsible for step two and step three. Well, if we do this, I don't know if the finances are going to line up the way they need to line up. What if we find ourselves in a tough spot? Well, if it's God's idea, he's responsible for the results. Well, I think God's asking me to start this, but I don't think I have the ability. If it's God's idea, he's responsible for the results. If it's all on him, if it's all about him, it's all on him. And then our job is simply to look to him and stay connected to him as the vine, to honor him and defer to him and point to him and do things his way. And in doing so, we allow ourselves, just like Jesus, to be used for God's glory. As the band leads us through a few songs, there's kind of a process, right? Because sitting in here and hearing that can be encouraging and positive, but it's hard to do out there. So, so it starts in here, right? It doesn't, it's not all about in this room. It's not about this building, but it starts with a chance to declare that we want to bring glory to God and then claiming it and then outside of here, living it. So as we stand to worship, just one more passage I want to hit you with to keep in mind as we sing, because I have, we have an opportunity. Every song that we're going to sing here is going to be about God's glory and putting the attention on him and giving him praise. Hebrews chapter 1 says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he, after Jesus provided purification for sins, after he came and lived the perfect life, after he came and laid that life down on your behalf, after he made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Would you stand with me? I want to pray for us. We're going to have a chance to just lay it out there. Let this moment be an opportunity to declare God's glory, an opportunity to claim his glory and authority in your life so that when you leave here, 
you can put that into practice. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this moment, and we pray that as we sing, you would receive it as a joyous, beautiful offering from our hearts to yours. God, we declare in this moment that you are worthy of any gift, of any praise, of any decision that's going to bring you glory. God, we claim that in this moment, we declare it in this moment, and may this moment be a catalyst for what happens in the days and weeks to come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing.